you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord, and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones, and he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, And the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. G'day City on a Hill. Wonderful to be with you for this Easter celebration. If you're tuning in for the very first time, my name is Guy. Joy and privilege to serve uh, as the senior pastor of this church. You know, on Good Friday, we remembered that Jesus was raised up on a cross for us. 
Today, in this moment, we unite with men and women across Australia and indeed around the globe to celebrate the good news that the tomb is now empty and that Jesus is alive. Jesus rose historically, Jesus rose physically and spiritually, Jesus rose eternally and Jesus rose triumphantly. You know, throughout church history, there's a bit of a practice where the church minister would get up before his congregation and say, Christ is risen. And the church would uh, yell out in response, he is risen indeed. And so I thought we could give this a go right now. I'm going to say Christ is risen and we as one church are going to lift the roof off our homes and our neighborhoods by saying together with one super loud voice, he is risen indeed. You ready? Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. 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 Why don't we put our hands together and thank the Lord for his goodness and grace. You can write an amen in the comments below. Put in your favorite emoji, anything to celebrate the good news of our God. As I was reflecting on today's text and this extraordinary moment that we are in, I was reminded of one of the more influential moments in modern history. The year is 1968. And in 1968, the world is amidst crisis. In 1968, uh, we're seeing increased violence in Vietnam. Uh, In 1968, there's increased hostility and the threat of war between North Korea and USA. And tragically, in 1968, we see the assassination of the civil rights activist and the famous Baptist preacher Martin Luther King. Two months after his death, Uh, Robert Kennedy is assassinated in his hotel in L.A., all of which to say that this, this is a difficult time, a time of crisis, a time where people are anxious, uh, they're feeling afraid and alone. And yet on Christmas Eve in 1968, the world saw a ray of light. Bill Anders, Jim Lavelle and Frank Borman are aboard Apollo 8. And Apollo 8 is NASA's first spaceship to break through the Earth's gravitational pull and sail across the waters of deep space. Many had lost their lives in pursuit of this vision. Many more said it could never be done. But but remarkably, after traveling at speeds over 38,000 kilometers, Apollo 8, reaches the moon and as they're sailing across the the lunar surface the astronauts do something unexpected they turn on the cameras and beam out live images from the heavens above to the earth below in that moment over two billion people the largest television audience in human history huddle around TV sets, in bars, in shops, and in homes. Men, women, and children from Australia, China, the USA, France, and and UK huddled around TVs with their eyes open, seeing what they'd never seen before. And in that moment, as the world is looking on, the astronauts do something quite extraordinary. They open their Bibles and take turns reading from the book of Genesis. 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place. and Let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together. He called seas and God saw that it was good. In this moment, men and women across the globe saw the world in a totally new way. In that moment, they lifted their eyes from their present challenges and difficulties and not only saw the world differently, but were reminded that we're all part of something far greater than ourselves. This Easter, in the midst of our own crisis, my prayer and hope is that our eyes would be lifted. Lifted beyond our present difficulties and challenges to not just see this world differently, but to be reminded that we're all part of something far greater. If you've got a Bible handy, I'd love you to come with me to our reading, which you'll find in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 37. It's the 6th century BC, and the people of God are living in a time of crisis. Uh, They've been forced out from their homes. Uh, They're separated from the temple, and they are living uh, in exile under the reign and rule of a pagan empire, Babylon. But in the midst of this crisis, God raises up a young man. And who is he? His name is Ezekiel. And he's chosen by God to be a mouthpiece. And so throughout the book of Ezekiel, we see him receiving these revelations, these images to declare the problem of Israel's rebellion, but also the promise of God's rescue and restoration. And so look with me to chapter 37, verse 1. He writes, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. And it was full of bones, and he led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very, very dry. So where is Ezekiel in this vision? Well, he sat down in the middle of the valley. And the valley, of course, is not just a lower area between hills and mountains. It's the place of vulnerability. It's where you are exposed. In times of war, an army would, would fight for the upper ground to have the ascendancy over their enemy. But here we find Ezekiel walking in the valley where the battle has already been fought and lost. And significantly throughout the Bible, we see that the valley is not just the place of defeat, but also the place of sorrow, suffering and spiritual lament. In contrast to Moses, who who met God on the top of a mountain, the valley is the place of distance, 
Isolation and separation. It's where you and I feel anxious, alone and afraid. In our day, the valley is the walk through the laneway at night, the dark forest, the haunted house. The valley is the the loss of employment, uh, the betrayal of a loved one. The valley is the doctor telling you that your child is terminally ill or the lawyer handing you the papers telling you that the marriage is over. The valley is the cycle of self-doubt and self-defeat. The valley is the great chasm that exists between me and God. And what does Ezekiel see in the valley? He sees it's full of bones. There were very many upon the surface. All right, so he sees that it's full of bones that are scattered across the surface. Now, in the ancient world, it was expected that in death, your body was buried in the ground. Even today, we show respect to a loved one by placing their body in rest. And so one of the great fears uh, of Israel that filled them with great uh, dread is the thought of lying naked, exposed and unburied. It's a sign that you've not just been forgotten, you are forsaken. And please note, it's not just that Ezekiel sees these bones scattered across the surface. He says in the text, do you see that, that they were very dry. Now, at this time, there was something of a belief that once a person died, their soul would remain with their body for three days, after which the spirit would depart the body and all hope and restoration is gone. All of which to say the very dry bones signify that these bodies are not just lying dead. They are dead, dead. They represent lives long forgotten, picked dry by the birds, bleached by the sun, emptied of all hope. And so what's the point here? What does the Valley of Dry Bones reveal to Ezekiel and us this Easter? Have a look at verse 11. These bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Now, some of you will know that throughout the Old Testament, God's people Israel hold a special place in the heart of God. They are his chosen people, his blessed people called to be shining stars. Here, they've been taken from their land. Here, in Ezekiel, they are in exile, no longer gathering in their temple, no longer standing as one unified people, no longer sure of who they are and what their purpose is. Like dead bones scattered across the valley, so Israel's identity and their purpose appears lost. And that's particularly evident when you note these words, their cry, they say, we are cut off. You see that? They say, our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. And that's significant because we know in the story of Israel that God brought them together to Mount Sinai and there he makes a covenant with them. And he says, you know, if you trust me, if you, if you follow my ways, I'm going to bless you. But if you reject me, if you deny and disobey me and follow sin and worship other gods, I'm going to cut you off. And so to be cut off means a separation from God and a very real spiritual death. 
a bit like a rose that you might cut from a vine. It, it exists for a while, but, but in time it fades and, and the petals fall. So here's Israel recognizing their own sin and that they're now living in the shadow of death. And of course, it's important to say at this point that the sin and, and exile of, of Israel is also a story that rings true for, for you and I. I remember many years ago, uh, traveling to New York City for the very first time. And uh, I caught up with a, a good friend of mine, another church minister who was studying at Yale University uh, at the time. And, and, and he says to me, Guy, we're in New York City. Why don't we go see a musical? I think, great. Sounds excellent. What did you have in mind? He says, let's see Chicago. And I think, okay, I've never seen it. Sounds great. Let's go and get the tickets and head on in. Uh, about a half an hour later, I'm walking through Times Square. And for those of you who've been to Times Square, you'll know it's like the epicenter of the world. There's color and light and energy and people streaming everywhere. And I'm like looking in and walking through and I capture the sight of this huge, humongous billboard. It's like 20 meters high, draped over this tall building. And on it, advertising this musical Chicago. And there's three words, (laughs) three words to articulate and express what this musical is all about. Three words that I think are actually at the heart of our world right now. What were those three words? Sin is in, right? Sin is in. I turned to my mate Reese and I'm like, wow, this looks like the perfect musical for two church ministers, right? Well, do you know what the opening lines of the musical are? I'll read them for you. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. You're about to see a story of murder, greed, corruption, violence, exploitation, adultery, treachery, all those things we hold near and dear to our hearts. And listening to that, I thought, you know what? Chicago is spot on. Sin is not just something out there on the the fringes of society, touching a few. No, 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 no. Let's be honest. Sin is something that we hold near and dear. It's part of us all. And yet, and yet, like the sin of Israel, like our sin today, what we fail to realize is that our sin doesn't just grieve our God. It it causes havoc and darkness and self-destruction on our world. You may have noticed uh, recently that one of the go-to phrases for people right now is that we are living in unprecedented times. Every press conference we're hearing, we're living in unprecedented times. We're told that over and over again. I'm not entirely sure that's right, right? For something to be unprecedented, we have to be talking about something never known or experienced before. So suppose some Aliens turn up to your house tonight with chocolate Easter eggs and free uh, toilet rolls. That's unprecedented, right? Uh, Imagine a preacher going through a sermon without his three points or quoting C.S. Lewis. That's unprecedented. Uh, A politician who can get through a press conference without saying pivot or unprecedented. That's unprecedented, right? But sickness and suffering, pandemics and plagues, disease and death, They are not unprecedented. And I'm not saying that to to minimize the weight and the pain of this hour, but to help us remember and recognize that since the fall, our world has always been plagued by darkness and destruction. 
right? Like a virus weakening your body and slowing your movement. So when sin has corrupted God's good design. Right. So so one of the questions in the news right now is who's responsible for COVID-19? Who's responsible? Who do we blame for this? Is it someone who ate, I don't know, a sick bat in a market in China? Do we blame our governments who weren't harsh and stronger early enough? Do we blame millennials who didn't seem to care about social distancing and the risk of others? I mean, we can just go in circles playing that blame game and, and, and there's a place for that conversation. But, but ultimately and fundamentally, we need to realize that all of that is symptomatic of a much deeper problem that runs through the ages. When it comes to the brokenness of our world, when it comes to sickness and suffering, when it comes to darkness and death, The responsibility lies not only out there in the world, but in here. We have sinned. I have sinned. I mean, just this week, I um, I took my two boys on a bit of a bike ride through the neighborhood. Just an opportunity just to, to get some fresh air after what has been a challenging few weeks. And as I'm riding along, I hear my son who's behind me, scream, and he flips over his bike. And I look around and I see these sprawled under his bike in the middle of the road, just dead still. And my heart stops. I throw my bike to the ground. I run over. And thankfully, aside from some major kind of like gashes on his leg and blood coming from his arm, he's okay. Being a young boy, he's, he's a little embarrassed by it in front of his brother. And he's like, let's keep on going. I don't care. Let's, let's keep on going. I can barely pedal at this point. But he's like, let's just keep going. I'm like, all right, well, we'll keep going. And so he, you know, cycles on ahead of me. And we come towards this roundabout. And, and I don't know if he was still in a little bit of a shock, but he's, he's entering into this roundabout. And I can see out of the corner of my eye, this, this car just ramming, uh, coming towards this, this intersection, Right. And I'm assuming, well, of course, this car's going to slow down and stop and let my son go through. He doesn't. He accelerates and he starts beeping the horn past my son, who's just looking on. And I don't know if the guy in the car saw that I was behind my son at this point, but I mustered all of the manliness I possibly could and said, hey, you. And then the car slows down, (laughs) pulls over and stops. And there's this moment where he's looking at me. And I'm looking at him and the whole world turned into a Western, right? And I'm Clint Eastwood. And in my mind, I'm like, come on, man. Come on, punk. Step outside of the car. Go ahead. Make my day. And it's just as well that he didn't do that. It's just as well that he decided to drive on because had that have gone that way, look, I could have been doing prison ministry right now on the inside because I was lit, Right. I had adrenaline just like flowing like this. Had he got out of the car, I was ready to just rage war. That's not right. Uh, That's not a posture of peace and patience and self-awareness and gentleness and control. No, that's that's chaos. And left unchecked, that chaos within is what wreaks havoc on God's good design, on the relationships, on this world. G.K. Chesterton, brilliant writer, I think in the 19th century, 
uh, was asked by the London Times to write an extensive essay on the problem of suffering. What's wrong with the world? They asked G.K. Chesson. He wrote his essay. This was his response. Dear sirs, I am. Now, Chesterton was by many standards a good person, but he was honest enough to recognize that he was no different to anyone else. He knew what evils he was capable of. He knew that sin was part of his life and he knew the self-destruction, the destruction of God's world that came as an overflow of his sin. Like Israel, we are all, listen, we are all cut off. We are all walking in the valley of dry bones. We're dead in our sins. We're dead in our sins, dead in our separation. We are dead spiritually and without God's hand of intervening grace, we are dead eternally. Now, does this mean that the valley of dry bones is void of any hope? No. No, in fact, if you look closely, this entire scene is bursting with color and life. Did you see... Next to Ezekiel, who else is in the scene? God is. In verse 1, it's the hand of the Lord upon Ezekiel. In the same verse, Ezekiel is brought to the valley in the spirit of the Lord. And then, of course, throughout the vision, we see that Ezekiel is not there by himself. He's in constant communion with the Lord. Why is that significant? It's significant because it reveals that even though Israel is in the valley... God has not abandoned them. God has not forgotten them. God has heard their cry. God knows her distress and God is standing in her midst. You know the difference between empathy and sympathy? Brene Brown unpacks this so well, right? When someone is in a deep hole, when someone is stuck in the valley and they cry out for help, when they say, I'm hopeless, I'm in despair, I need help, I've been cut off. What do we do? Stand from a distance, look down from the mountain above, give them a few tips and tricks? No. Empathy, empathy is coming down from the mountain into the valley. It's entering into the pain. It's entering into the sorrow. It's entering into the despair. Is that not what we see in this vision? A God who hears the cry of Israel and enters her pain. A God who says in the midst of the valley, I am with you. I am with you. The vision of Ezekiel reminds Israel of God's comfort and presence. But also, please note, he's also lifting their eyes to his promise. Look to verse 3. And the Lord said to me, son of man, can these bones live? Now, place yourself in his shoes. What's the answer to that question? Can these bones live? Well, clearly the answer is no. Of course, these dead bones can't live. And the key word there is dead. As a rule of thumb, dead things don't walk. Right. So that's the answer. But interestingly, look at how Ezekiel responds. He says, and I answered Oh, Lord God, you know. What's he saying there? He's saying the answer to this question rests solely in the hands of the Lord, a sovereign God, 
a powerful God. Right? What is impossible for man is not impossible for our God. How many of us are prone to forget this? How many of us are prone to see the challenges of this world through the lens of our own limitations? How many of us need to be reminded this Easter that there is nothing too small or too big for our God? And this is why I love this text, because in the valley, Ezekiel trusts God. In the valley, he knows that God is with him. And in the valley, he knows that God can take that which is broken and make it beautiful. Look at the power of this imagery. Verse 7. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound and behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked and behold, there were sinews on them and flesh had come upon them and skin had covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. You see the wonder, this vision? The rattling of the bones as they come together, the flesh and skin covering them up. Do you see the wind of the Lord, the breath of his spirit, breathing and giving life to these dead bones? It's incredible. What is the point of the vision? Is this a demonstration of God's unmatched power? Yes, but the glory of this text runs deeper Still, the vision given to Israel is at its heart a declaration of God's love. That while they were cut off, they will be brought home. Though they despair, he will restore their hope. And while they have rebelled, while they have turned away, they are not forgotten, but will be raised up in love. I remember Uh, hearing and reading this story of a mother uh, named Mary. Uh, Her son was tragically uh, shot dead in a a vicious attack. And the killer uh, was sent to prison and got 17 years. Mary was devastated, clearly, by that reality. But she chose, she made a decision to respond to the violence and hate with love. And so she reached out to her son's killer. She started visiting him in prison. And when the time came uh, for him to be released, she even helped him. She introduced him to the landlord and, and gave, uh, helped him get the apartment next door. You know what this boy's name was? Israel. And here she is meeting him with grace, meeting him with kindness and, and love. And to this day, she has a necklace with a locket around her neck. And you know what's inside that locket? On one side, she has a photo of her son. And on the other side, she has a photo of Israel. Incredible. What I love about that story and her grace is it is to me a reminder of God's affection for his people. They were cut off. They were exiled. They had sinned and turned their back, and yet the Lord pursues them 
The Lord loves them. The Lord brings them home and holds them close. Like a locket around the neck, they sit at the very center of his lavish, lavish love. And you know what? This promise is not just a promise for Israel. It's a promise for you. You see, God did restore Israel. God brought them out of exile and for a time the nation of Israel returned to the Lord. But they knew that their, their rescue was always in, in anticipation for something much greater. Uh, they looked forward in hope to the day that God would send a saviour, one who would not only free them from all exiles, but raise them up to the life and love of God eternal. 600 years after God's word entered the valley of the dry bones, God spoke once more. In the Gospel of John, it says, In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. And the word was God. And the word became flesh. In Jesus, God steps onto the stage of human history, coming down from heaven. And in Jesus, we not only witness God's power, we see his empathy and his love, a love that gives compassion to the lonely, grace to the guilty, a love meeting brokenness with healing and sorrow with comfort, a love that didn't stay on top of the mountain, but entered the valley. On the cross, we see Jesus exposed and made vulnerable. On the cross, we see Jesus forgotten and forsaken. On the cross, we see Jesus subjected to the death and judgment that we deserve. Jesus cut off, cast out into the valley of the dry bones. How many of us this Easter need to know that despite the chaos of this crisis and this mess, need to know that God has entered in? How many of us need to know that God has not forgotten us or forsaken us? One of my good friends, 10 City on a Hill, uh, started his own business, a, a bar. He's newly married and together with his wife have, have given their heart and soul to creating this, this great venue for people to enjoy. And he loves Jesus and he's giving it to the Lord. And yet recently, because of all of these restrictions, like so many Australians, had to shut the doors. What is that? It's a valley moment. Losing your job is a valley moment. The sickness is a valley moment financial pressure it's a valley moment we are all right now feeling that separation that isolation it's a valley moment but this easter let us not forget that in jesus the lord our god is with you even though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death, says David, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The good news of the gospel, 
the good news for you and your friends and your family member this Easter is that Jesus not only entered death for you, but on the third day, God raised him up. Just as the spirit of the living God breathed life into the valley of dry bones, so God's spirit raised Jesus from the dead. And you know what that means? You know what the raising up of Jesus and his gift of life means for you and I this Easter? It means that right now, despite the valley, we who put our trust in Jesus can walk with a certain and secure and living hope. Listen to how Peter explains his salvation in Christ. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Note those words, living hope, right? It's not an empty hope. It's not a dead or dying hope. No, in Jesus, you're born again to a living hope. Do you know that hope? Are you alive in that hope right now, this Easter? Do you know it? Is it yours? In the second century, the world uh, was struck by the Antonine Plague. Devastating time. It's believed the pandemic was introduced to the Roman Empire through soldiers who were returning from Syria. Uh, Five million people died. Five million people died. Died In the following century, the plague of Cyprian spread across the world through Africa. It was transmitted person to person and anyone who, uh, well, half of all people who, who encountered the disease died. Devastating. And yet it's said that during this pandemic, government officials and the wealthy fled cities for the countryside to escape the disease. It was, however, men and women of faith men and women of this living hope who stayed behind. Instead of abandoning those in need, they faced the darkness and entered the disease. Uh, Bishop Dionysus praises the efforts of the early Christians saying this. Listen in. Most of our Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And with them departed this life serenely happy, for they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbours and cheerfully accepting their pains. It's moments like that that truly challenge me when it comes to my identity as a Christian. I'm reminded in stories like that, that Christianity is not just this cushy club for like-minded people. Christianity is not a tribe for people who want a comfortable and easy life. Christianity is a movement of sacrifice, of love, of hope. And what does that look like for you and for me this Easter? Perhaps it's a call to put aside the fear of rejection and share the good news with a friend or family member. You know that right now our world is hurting. Our friends, our work colleagues are asking big questions. 
What an opportunity to shine light right now in the midst of darkness. What an opportunity to share this living hope with someone who so desperately needs it. Why not invite them to join in in one of these online services or a gospel community or or bring them along to one of the Alpha courses. This is a moment that we have to shine the light of Christ. Don't live in fear, live by faith. What an opportunity. And let our faith, let this hope be much more than words, but clearly how we live. Hasn't it been wonderful to see across the, the news all the various ways that people are shining light Uh, You know, story of neighbors sharing flowers in vases made out of toilet paper. Uh, Some guy poured two glasses of whiskey and used a drone to to deliver it uh, to his neighbors. I'm still waiting for that. Perhaps, perhaps the most moving story, however, comes from an Italian priest. Don Giuseppe Berardelli, 72 years of age, serving as a local parish priest in Italy, test positive to COVID-19. But amidst the suffering, you know what he does? He gives his ventilator to a younger patient. And it is this sacrifice that, that saves that young man, but cost him his own life. Remarkable, remarkable. What inspires a sacrifice like that? The good news of Jesus, that in Jesus, God has entered in, that in Jesus, the valley of death has been overcome, that in Jesus, we are raised up. City on a hill, let me encourage you to hold on to Jesus. Don't give up. Don't give in. Keep trusting that Jesus will get you through. He is good news for you. He is good news for you this Easter. Keep trusting him. Keep looking to him. And for those of you who are here, who are perhaps unsure whether you have the living hope of Christ, perhaps unsure whether you know his life and love and his salvation, and this might be the very first Easter that you've ever attended. You might have been, I don't know, looking for cat videos online and somehow you're here. I want you to know that it's no accident that you're here. I want you to know that God knows you. He loves you. He sent Jesus to live, die and to rise for you. And right now he is extending an invitation to you to know his life, to be born again, to receive his mercy. How wonderful. Don't let this moment pass. You know, as someone who didn't grow up going to church or, or even believing in God, I know how significant a decision like this is. I know as a generation that we've put our trust in so many different things that have failed us. You know, we've put our trust in our careers and our financial stability. We've put our trust in traveling the world and living an adventurous life of pleasure and fun. We've put our trust in ourselves, believing that if I just follow my heart, everything will come true. Which, of course, is why this moment is so terribly hard for us. Because in this moment, we realize that all of those things are just futile and fleeting. All the things that we held dear have fallen apart. What do you need in this hour? What do we all need? We need a trust that transcends the world. We need a hope 
that is above death itself. We need a life that conquers the grave. You were made for Jesus. You were made for him. God has done everything for you that you would know his life and salvation. Right? You can remain in your sin. You can remain in your exile. You can continue to cling to a fleeting and passing world. Or right now, you can step forward in courage and humility and say yes to Jesus. Right? John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that who would ever believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Let me encourage you to say yes to Jesus today. Let me encourage you to put your faith in Jesus right now. You'll see that in the comment section below, if you're with us at Church Online, a banner is there right now giving you the invitation to say yes to committing your life to Jesus. Don't delay. Click raise a hand and and take that step. We've got men and women, man, they'd love to pray with you. They'd love to support you. And if you're on any number of the other platforms, Facebook or YouTube, let me encourage you right now. If you want to give your life to Jesus, just right now in the comments, say yes. Yes, I'd like to love and know and live with Jesus. I want his hope. I want his forgiveness. I want his freedom. I want his life. Easter and the message of Jesus is good news of great joy for all who believe. Let's go to our God in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he entered our valley and he died our death. And we rejoice, Lord God, that by your spirit, you raised him up and that now by faith, we can be alive with Jesus. We can know your mercy. We can stand in your life and love and we can be born again to a living hope. We thank you, Lord. We rejoice in you. And it's in Jesus' mighty name that we pray and all of God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.